Hey, y'all. Welcome to All About the Pod podcast with the University of Georgia Peanut Team. I am Macy Wheeler, your host, bringing you real-time updates from our scientists, extension specialists, extension agents, growers, graduate students, and everyone in between. Regarding the last episode with Dr. Prosco, we did make a mistake, but we want to correct it by saying that the Bayer Jug label color is as follows. Herbicides are orange, fungicides are green, insecticides are blue. In addition to that, Break Herbicide has received federal and state approval for use in the 2023 peanut crop. So again, just correcting our mistake, Bayer Jug label colors are as follows. Herbicides orange, fungicides green, insecticides blue. And the Break Herbicide has received federal and state approval for use in 2023 peanut crop. So if you've been to any weed meetings with Dr. Prosco and Dr. Culpepper, you have already heard these things about break, but just want to inform you and update you. So thank you. Welcome back to episode 16 of All About the Pod. This week we have Dr. Abney and Dr. Mumford is here. Um, We're just going to ask Dr. Abney where he grew up, how he got into ag, how he got into this position. You can just tell whatever you like <laughs> well, hey Macy, it's good to be back. It's been y'all done a lot of episodes without me. I didn't know if I if I'd gotten banned from the podcast, yeah, or whatever, but it is good to be back. Um, you offended some people, so I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm getting kind of, I guess I'm middle aged now or whatever, and that's happened to me more than once. So I'm not, it's not like new to me, but um, so that, that was you asking me the question, all that at uh, once, and just, just want me to talk about you it. Know, you know, ask me specifically, just start where you want. In. Well, uh, where am I from? I grew up in Cochran, Georgia, born and raised in middle Georgia. Um, I've always been interested in agriculture from as long as I can remember. Uh, my family did not farm, but I was interested in agriculture. The first paying job that I ever had, like a real job, was working at a peach farm in Blackley County, Meadows and Porter's Peaches. And I, I worked at the packing house when I was in high school. And I fertilized peach trees, and I think I pruned peach trees, and I know I picked peaches one day when the regular crew was, something's up, I can't remember. They didn't usually let kids pick peaches, but I did pick peaches one day, and I, I knew then I didn't want to be a peach picker. <laughs> I love peaches, but I didn't want to pick them for a living. You seem like we always had those kind of jobs, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, you got to do some stuff. If you don't ever get out and try stuff, you don't know what you... Peach fuzz, as much as I love peaches, peach fuzz and my skin don't go together very well. Um, but I did that, and then uh, I started scouting cotton uh, back in the mid-90s, early 90s, I guess it was the early 90s. <laughs> I scouted cotton for several years. When I went to college, I, my daddy would ask. I didn't know what I was going to major in. I went to Middle Georgia College in, in Blackley County in Cochran, and I majored in biology. It was, you can't. You can only get an associate degree, right? So it yeah. didn't really matter. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to do. And I started scouting cotton, and I was like, man, you know, it, in 1994, I think cotton was like a dollar a pound. And people listening to this podcast probably remember that year that that tropical storm Alberto came through, and uh, it rained a lot. So my first year, I, th- I don't know if that was my first year scouting cotton or not, but those cotton prices were high and it rained and everybody made a lot of cotton and people made a lot of money and i'm like wow and there was a lot of people scouting and i was just that's the year i graduated from high school so i'm going into college and a lot of my friends were in either scouting cotton or involved with agriculture one way or another as consultants or going their dad had new people at county agents and 
So when I graduated from Middle Georgia College, I went to the University of Georgia and was majoring in crop science, which is what they called it at the time. Also there at that time in 1996 was the illustrious Dr. Scott Mumford. He's also and a whole bunch of other <laughs> folks and people would recognize that are in have been or still are in extension or in the ag industry in Georgia. A whole bunch of us. Did y'all know each other there? Well, yeah, we were in the same classes. Oh, okay. Now, now Scott, I have to say, Scott, I knew who he we was. Were, we were great. Yeah, I knew who Scott was. I didn't. We didn't run together, but I mean, we all those other people, we were all running together. Scott was in the fraternity. I was about to say, were you named ER too? I was. I was oh, independent. <laughs> I was independent. I used to. Say, I can't say what we used to say. Well, mama might listen to the podcast, you know, and I don't want to say we used to, we used to have a term for it. But You'll have to miss a few episodes if you say it. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. I get banned again. Yeah. Somebody, you know, anyway, it wasn't that bad, mama, if you listen. It really wasn't that bad. But I mean, I'm not going to say it on here. But anyway, I, did, I was not in the fraternity. Uh, but we were we were friends of friends of friends. Yeah, that's right. I, again, we knew who each other was. And, uh, I continued to scout cotton all that time, and I was I, the the way it used. You know, you could scout cotton for yourself, or you could work for a consultant. But they used to have programs where young people could scout through the county extension office, okay. and the county agent kind of managed the scouts, and that's how I got started. And it was a great program for me, um, and I got to work very closely with Gordon Lee, who was the county agent in Blakely County at the time, and. I liked him, and I guess he liked me. I don't know. He he gave me a lot of really good advice, things that I still remember to this day. And uh, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I, my dad was like, "What are you going to do with a with a degree in agriculture?" I said, "I think it'll work out, right?" But I mean, you know, and I think his thing was like, you know, I wasn't an idiot, right? And he could see me doing a lot of other things. It's very obvious what you do with a degree in engineering, and I got a. To hand it. I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do with it either. Yeah. But I assumed it would work out. Um, but anyway, you know, I did good in school for the most part, and people started talking to me about graduate school, which I didn't know anything about. Right? I didn't know squat about graduate school. Um, and that was only half the story at the time. I didn't care either, right? But people yeah. started talking to me about it. I was like, well, okay, well, why should I do this? And talking with Gordon Lee, he's like, well, you know, if you're going to be a county agent, they're going to want you to get a master's degree anyway. And they're going to pay you more. And I was like, well, you know, a county agent job seems like a pretty good job. I think I wouldn't mind doing that. Because, by the way, the price of cotton dropped after 1994, oh. right? And it wasn't mm-hmm. as lucrative of a job. To, didn't seem to be to me the, this consulting side as it had once been. And uh, so I talked with several people about degrees in uh Master's degrees in crop science. I looked. I talked with the soybean breeder at the time, weed science folks, and Gordon had worked with Beverly Sparks, who folks who are listening to this probably remember was the the associate dean for extension at the University of Georgia for quite a few years. But anyway, before that, she was in the entomology department. He had worked with her. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I was kind of him hauling around with him one day, and it's like, well, why don't you go in entomology? I had won the forest state forestry insect and disease contest and FFA and stuff and I realized I mean I you know I'm not I don't say I loved insects I wasn't necessarily a bug nerd but I you know I just got good at it. I did fine at it right and I was like well you know I don't know anybody in entomology so how do you you know I don't know how this works and I mean it, it's young people should you know always work hard and do good and you never know how things are going to work out but you know he he the next day I came in, we had that conversation. I remember very well. I was 18 years old. The next day I came into the office 
And uh, Gordon says, if you want to go in entomology, the Georgia Cotton Commission has agreed to pay your assistantship and will fund the project. And you need to go to Tifton on, and he told me the day, and you're going to meet with Gary Herzog and Philip Roberts and John Riverson and talk with them about what kind of project you want to do. And I'm like, man, I, you know, to me, this did, I, I, I don't know if I knew enough to be shocked now looking back on it. And, uh, you know, there's a couple things there. One is, is that the, the Georgia Cotton Commission was willing to invest in a young person that grew up in middle Georgia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think they may have said it at the time. Somebody may have said it to me at a meeting, said, you know, we're going to, we're doing this because one day you may come back here and we'll see some return on this investment. And at the time, I think, you know, I, you know, whatever, right? I'm, you're 18 years old. It's yeah. like, thank you for, for doing this for me. But I, I didn't probably see it going there. And well, that time I wasn't 18. By then I was graduating from college. So I'd been to what, 22 or something, right? But, still young. But still young and didn't know anything. But I did. I came to Tifton and I met with uh, Gary Herzog and John Riverson and, I remember thinking, you know, I, I don't know what the deal is with this graduate school thing, but they told me that, you know, that the Cotton Commission had agreed to fund me. I could do whatever. They said, whatever project you want to work on. I said, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know anything. I don't know what does that mean. That was kind of intimidating, actually. But overwhelming. John Rubens, huh? <laughs> I said overwhelming. Well, it was because, like, if you're going to, I mean, I don't know how to do research, right? Nobody yeah. has done research. I don't know what that means. And, um, John Ruberson had a project, a grant funded that he needed a student. And he said, well, read this project. And if you think you'd be interested in that, you could do that. And that's what I ended up doing. It was a, a biocontrol of cotton aphid is what it was. And we looked at you know, when cotton aphids come into the crop and how the population builds and then what natural enemies or beneficial insects affect them. And then um, there's a fungal disease that really takes them out. And yeah. I, in Georgia, a lot of times we won't need to spray cotton aphid because we the growers will be asking. I mean, I, I don't work in cotton anymore, but they're asking, right? I got aphids. Where, where's the fungus? Where's the fungus? And when the fungus comes in around the second week of July, usually it wipes them out and they're gone. And then, the, you know, there'll be some low-level aphids out there after that, but not to the point usually where they need to be treated. And so, yeah, that's what got me into entomology. And But all along, the whole idea was to stay in agriculture, right? I mean, I... If, if somebody wanted to give me a farm, I would. if I could have farmed, I would have farmed, right? I, it yeah. probably would have been a mistake because, you know, but I would have loved to have farmed. And to this day, I would like to farm. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle the stress of it now. But um, at any rate, that so, you know, I was getting a master's degree and that's where I thought it would end. I assumed I would go and get a, a job with cooperative extension or, you know, something. I didn't want to sell anything. I knew that. I, salespeople are really important and I don't want to make light of that because a good salesperson basically connects a customer with the thing they need. But I was scared I was going to end up having to sell something to somebody they didn't need. I'd be forced to sell something that I didn't Mm -hmm. believe in. And I, you know, I didn't want to do that. And uh, somewhere along the line, I was doing my master's. My advisor said, you know what, you ought to think about getting a PhD because I kept saying I really wanted Philip Robert's job. I mean, I see, I saw what he did, and, and for, I assume everybody listening probably knows that Philip Roberts is an extension cotton entomologist here at University of Georgia, and he had not been here long at that time. And I was like, man, this guy's got the best freaking job in the world, right? I mean, he gets to go out, help farmers make decisions. He he's making, solving these problems. Nobody's looking over his shoulder, as far as I knew, right? I, I didn't know anything. I was like, nobody's looking over his shoulder. He said, you know, this would be freaking awesome. 
And uh, Rivers was like, you know, you could have a job like that, but you got to get a PhD. I said, I don't know anything about that. He said, well, you know, he, he recommended where I could go, and none of them were here. Mm. He said, you can stay here. We'll keep you here if you want, but you'll, you won't be able to get a job at UGA if you get all your degrees here. And I was naive enough to think I might actually be able to get a job at the University of Georgia, right? It's like, I'm sure I could get a job here, so I must go, where, where do you think I should go? And he starts going, well, you should either go to University of California, Davis, or you should go to Cornell or Texas A&M or NC State. I said, NC State it is, right? Because I'm not going. I ain't going to California. Oh, that sounds Texas terrible. I might could handle, but I'm, and I'm not going to New York. I was like, it's not, I'm not even going to talk to those people. And it was naive. I mean, when you're young, right? I said, what? This is the closest place I can drive there. Yeah. And the people there still more or less talk the same way <laughs> I do, right? For whatever that's worth. And so that's what I did. I met with some folks at NC State and they agreed to take me on as a PhD student. I went up there and got a PhD and uh, worked in tobacco. And then when I got done with that, I, I did a postdoc for a couple of years on sweet potatoes, which was really good. We did a lot of it. The, my advisor. Where was that, that at? Hmm? NC State at too. NC State yeah my uh, George Kennedy is kind of he's kind of famous as an entomologist if you're not an entomologist you probably don't know but he if you're an ag entomologist you know who he is and he and I worked together really well and we did some really good work in sweet potatoes and really now if you went and asked them why they do some of the things they do they won't remember that George Kennedy and Mark Abney did this work and this, then we just said so this is what we do but it really changed the way they managed soil insects there from like a foliar-based program targeting adults that didn't work very well to some very specific practices that targeted specific pests and really reduced a lot of the injury that they were seeing. Um, Hmm. I'm sure they're still not happy because it's not zero. Yeah. And chlorpyrifos, Loraban, was a big part of that program, and everybody lost that last year. So, I mean, there's there's issues to to be dealt with there. But anyway, did that for a couple years, and then... um, they had a position open there for uh, a vegetable entomologist and I applied for it and I was fortunate enough to be selected for that position. So I was on their faculty as a mostly extension, but it was like a 75% extension, 25% research entomology position for vegetables in North Carolina based out of Raleigh. And uh, my wife really liked it there because there's lots of shopping opportunities there. And we moved into the country, but my commute was really crappy. Um, I was driving 35 miles just to get to work. and That's probably without wife, traffic. That was without traffic. Because mm. when I first started, the, the Great Recession hit right when I started uh, my faculty position. And there wasn't a lot of, I mean, you could. they had just opened a new bypass around the town between Raleigh and where I lived, and there was no traffic on it. And it stayed that way for about four or five years. And then it started to really build as the economy came back. But I mean, I, I talked to my wife and I was like, I don't know what's the point of living in the country if I'm never here in the daytime, <laughs> because I'd literally be leaving around daylight in the morning. And most days I didn't get back until after dark. And maybe I worked harder then than I do now. I didn't have children. Right. So I, so I probably did work more hours. There's no doubt, but still it was just a grind. Yeah. And I eventually got a call from Georgia, actually, and they said we're a group of folks was from the peanut team was coming up to North Carolina because of the APRS meeting, American Peanut Research and Education Society meeting was going to be in Raleigh. And they said we we got we've got a peanut entomology position open, and we if you'd like to talk with us, we'd like to talk with you. I said I'll talk to you. <laughs> 
and uh, we met at a restaurant and I met John Beasley and Scott Tubbs and I don't remember who all was there. There was a couple other folks there at that time and talked about the position and I was, I, I was excited about it, right? Because I mean, I had a great job at NC State. I really liked NC State. I like the people. I still got friends there. I got friends at the university. I got friends in Eastern North Carolina, all over the state, really. And uh, my wife was not super excited about moving. I mean, she's from Georgia too, but she just she she had she had a teaching job she liked. Um, she had a ton of friends. And uh, like something else I remember, like that. It's like somebody else saying the same story, and it's like, but yeah. you know. I'm sitting there thinking, my gosh, you know, I can move to Tifton and be like back in the Briar Patch, um, in you know, Brer Rabbit in the Briar Patch. For those people who don't know, it's like I just, I just can't. I don't think I can not do this. I got to apply for it and uh, did, and was very blessed that they offered me the position, and I took it, and here I am. Uh, so I've been the peanut entomologist here now for almost ten years. Okay. Well, it seems hard to believe, right? It's not that seem early, like right? Time's, Time's flying. Flies. Time's flying. The, um, so one of the major things you got hired for was Burrabo. That's right. And uh, we, know, we could say, well, dang, Mark, it's been 10 years. So tell us how you've solved the Burrabo problem. But he, Scott's right. Uh, when I met with the dean, it was actually several deans, uh, when I was interviewing for the job, we sat down at the table and he said, all right, Mark, when you, you come in, if you get this job, what's the first thing you're gonna do? And I said, I know what you want to hear, right? I mean, I feel like I do. And there's something about applying for a job and interviewing for a job when you already have a job you really like that probably allows you to say things that you might not otherwise say. It allows you to be, it allowed me to be completely honest, which I try to do all the time. I wanna be transparent with people. I don't like BS. And I don't like smoke and mirrors. And so I, you know, when they asked me that, it's like, I know what you want me to say. You want me because the reason the job was posted was because of burrow bug. This thing, it's a native pest, but it had caused problems in 2010. And there was a lot of pressure from growers and the commodity associations in there as well. There very well should have been right to get a position because there hadn't been a peanut entomologist for like seven years okay. because of retirement and whatever. Okay. I said, the truth is, well, I'm going to work on burrow bug. But I think the question was, if you, what are you going to do with your first student? And I said, you know, I'm not necessarily going to put a student on a burrower boat project until I know that they can be successful. Because I've been working for soil, with soil insects now for, at that point, by that time, eight or ten years. My postdoc and all of my career as a vegetable entomologist, I focused on soil insects. And they are difficult to work with for a lot of reasons. And, I mean, without knowing more about the peanut burrow boat, you don't, I'm, I'm not going to put a student on that project until I know it can be successful. Yeah. And when we got in here, and, and one thing that, you know, you learn, right, I lived in Georgia my whole life before I moved off to go to school in North Carolina. There's a lot about peanuts I didn't know, even though they were right beside my house. And, you know, the fact that every load of peanuts gets inspected, and there's a record of that, and they're looking for burrow bug injury. It's like, you know, if they don't provide me with that information, We'll have a data set unlike any in in the world almost, right? When it comes mm-hmm. to trying to figure out, and and that really was the question, right? Why does burrow bug occur? Where it occurs? Can we develop a risk assessment? Can we predict where it's going to be? It's like if we know where every bit of burrow bug injury occurred, track weather then patterns. We can do all these that. things to try to figure out why it was there and where it might be in the next. And 
with that bit of information. And then we, you know, we had done other things before I got a, a graduate student and put him on that project. First graduate student worked on three cornered alfalfa hopper because we can see it mm-hmm. and we can do things and manipulate it and work on it. And there was questions about thresholds for it. So it made sense. But, um, but anyway, I've got a, a PhD student who's finishing up now and his whole project was looking at risk factors associated with bird bugs. And we've identified some, but we still don't have the, the peanut RX level kind of tool that what what we wanted, right? We don't have the smoking gun. No, and we knew we knew there was not going to be a smoking gun, right? Because the reality is there's a lot of really smart pe- people that grow peanuts and work at buying points and were on the peanut team. And they looked at the, the, I mean, they looked for patterns and there was no clear pattern, right? Yes, it occurs more in dry years than wet years. And yes, it occurs more on non-irrigated than irrigated acres, but it can occur anywhere. Yes, when you reduce tillage has more, but deep tillage has some. I mean, they could see some patterns, but there was, it wasn't confined to one spot. It wasn't confined. It wasn't a night and day difference. No, no. And so... And believe me, people were looking for the pattern, right? Because it was really bad for, there were a couple of years there where a lot of people lost a lot of money. And the, I mean, growers that listen to this will know, I mean, at that point it was two and a half percent was the threshold from say one to say two, it's gone up now. But at that time it was two and a half percent and that's by weight. And you look at, you know, that's that's not a lot of bird bug injury and there's not a lot of yield loss associated with bird bug feeding. In fact, probably not noticeable to your average grower. So you can make 6,000 pounds, 6,500 pound peanuts and have them go sick too and lose the farm. You could be putting them in the wagon thinking you could be going home having a party, mm-hmm. living life large, and three days later you get a call from the buying point that says, guess what? Those $500 a ton peanuts you thought you made are worth $110 a ton. And you're like, how am I gonna pay the bill? And that's exactly what happened to people. Um, yeah, we've been very fortunate the last few years that burrow bug injury has been low generally. Uh, and right now, that's all. I mean, we've got tillage. Tillage helps. Uh, but losing chlorpyrifos is a huge blow for folks who consistently have it. Because in East Georgia, where we see burrow bugs more often, um, they had, we had developed a, a scouting program for that. And it was working extremely well. Uh, when we found the bugs and at a certain time of year we would treat if we didn't find bugs we wouldn't treat um, we were having really good success with not having seg two peanuts uh, where we treated fields and then i mean every once in a while you had somebody say i'm not going to treat and guess what they got hammered which we don't like but it validated that what we were doing was working yeah. but when we lost chlorpyrifos last year that pretty much i mean right now we don't have any there's no reason to scout in fact, most growers would probably tell you if they if they can't kill them, they don't want to know they're there. Um, now the buying point may be different, right? Because they may want to yeah. you know segregate them in a certain way. But you know, it's it's a lot of stress for a grower. You know, if you're in an area where burrow bug has been a problem and you don't know, you know, you can there's have beautiful peanuts and there's nothing you can do. So, uh, but that's not something that's just stopped in your program you're continuing to search oh yeah the, I mean, yeah that's I what mean, people there's... don't realize is just because you don't report on much in a year like this year or when we've lost right. four pair of falls it doesn't mean that you don't are not putting a a, a lot of time into the that's project right. that's right we've put a, i mean we've learned a lot I, I think if someone were in fact i guess i'll put in a plug here uh there's something called the southern ipm hour southern ipm hour 
And they basically, folks from all over the Southeast that are doing IPM research and extension type work will give webinars about what they're doing. And a lot of it's related to grants that you get from USDA. If you get a USDA grant, they ask you to do these things. And uh, Ben Agner, who's a PhD student, and I did one in, I don't know, Jan- early January. And so there's an hour long webinar. It's all, it's all if, you, if you Google Southern IPM hour, uh, you'll see it on there. There's a list of them, and you'll see the one that's like says Mark Abney and Peanut Burrow Bug, and it's uh, it's sort of a there, there'll be a Reader's Digest overview of some of the work that we've done, and then there's a really in-depth uh, segment that Ben does about his own work, the work that he's done specifically. So you can get a really good, you know, in an hour's time if you're driving down the road and want to listen to it uh, and know where we are with Burrow Bug and what all we've done. We that doesn't cover everything. We've done other stuff that's not in there, but uh, that's a, I mean, that tells the story pretty well. Uh, so that's something folks can look at, or, or you can watch it. I mean, it's there's a slide set, but you could you could get most of what you needed to know by listening to it if you happen to be driving down the road. So what else is going on in the entomology world that you're making progress on while you're not doing bird book? Well, yeah, the, the reality is, is we're doing a lot of other stuff. The focus is more on other things than it is on bird bug, frankly, because there's issues that I think we can have more immediate impact that are causing problems. And uh, rootworm is one of them. Uh, there's two species of rootworms in Georgia. One of them is not native. And it's only relatively recently become very abundant. And it is very abundant now. It's, in fact, I... Uh, I shared with the Georgia Peanut Commission the other day at the report, David, in our research, it's it's about nine to one. The the introduced species, which is called a banded cucumber beetle, come to the, the southern corner rootworm, which is the native species. So nine bandits for every one southern corner rootworm. And in the last, I, I, it's hard to keep up with it now, but let's just say six years, I've started getting more and more calls about rootworm damage, from especially from consultants because they're the ones looking uh, from consultants in places where rootworm has not historically been a problem. And rootworms are a moist, generally a moist soil problem. If you don't have clay, high clay content and irrigation, you tend to not have to worry about them. Uh, but we're seeing them more and more in a, like a Tifton type soil, uh, farther and farther away. Sumter County, Terrell County, Webster County, places that you think of having red dirt, those are the places that they know they have a problem. They're going to treat preventatively every year for that insect. Uh, but but we're seeing more problems in places that, like Tifton, for example, the RDC pivot at Tifton, which is really good soil, makes really good peanuts. We've had rootworms there two of the last six years, bad. Um, and last year was one of them. Yeah. And some of those guys, some of those growers in those areas lost a lot of yield, this potential yield this past year because we don't have anything to treat them with, right? Well, yeah, that's the thing, right? We talked about chlorpyrifos for uh, burrower bug, but chlorpyrifos was the only thing Laura's banned. It was the only thing that the, those growers had for for rootwork management. And, I mean, it was an automatic for them. They, they didn't have to guess whether or not they needed it. They knew they needed it. That insect is not sporadic. It's there every year. It's going to be there. It's going to be there this year. I mean, they, it ebbs and flows probably, but uh, it's going to be there in those fields every year. And they knew it, and they treated preventatively, and now they don't have that. And 
you know, our data in 2022 showed a 1,500-pound difference between untreated and treated for rootworm. This is, when you, well, you just said, Mark, you didn't have anything to treat them with. Well, there is an experimental insecticide that we've been testing that works very well. It's not registered yet, and we can use it in our research plot. So we compared the treated and untreated, and like I said, 1,500 pounds. And this was really heavy infestation, and I'm, I don't think most growers lost 1,500 pounds, but we got a really good county agent over in Terrell County, Seth McAllister, and when he did... Uh, maturity ch- checks he's he's looking at pod samples from growers all over his county and he told me that he would he estimated about a 500 pound per field he thought they were going to see 500 pound loss per field based on the percentage of damaged pods in the maturity samples that he got and he would send me pictures after he blasted them with the you know to get the the outer layer of the peanuts off so he could lay them out on the maturity board and I'm like dear god you know that's 15% at least of those peanuts are, are trash because they, they blew right through just them. You can see they're just mashed up from, from rootworm feed. So, yeah, when we talk about losing yield and just as, as a state in 2022, yeah, we had a lot of spotted wilt, right? We lost yield from that. Everybody lost yield from spotted wilt last year. Uh, but those growers that have rootworms lost, uh, I would say, I mean, I, can, I don't know, but I mean, anywhere from a couple hundred pounds up to a, over a thousand pounds per acre from rootworm, depending on how heavy the infestation was. And we're doing a lot of work on that. Uh, it looks like having corn next to your peanuts makes it worse. Makes it worse. There's there's more insects and there's more damage for sure in the fields adjacent to corn. Uh, so we're looking at things like that. We're looking at some. There, I think we're going to look at another compound that's relatively new, not registered in peanuts, but it is registered on some other crops. We're gonna try to look at that this year, so maybe we'll have some options. I'm hoping that the the material that we've been testing, the experimental, will get registered by the end of this year, so growers will have it available for next year. That'd be good. It would be really good. Uh, and we continue to do stuff with lesser corn stalk borer. Last year we had uh, worked with, uh, cooperated with FMC, a chemical company, and they they developed these smart traps and they put them out, and I think they had 140 something traps out last year. And, the idea is that the trap, you don't have to check the trap. It's got a camera. It's got a sales, whatever. It's got cellular service so that it can send a picture to a really smart computer. And everybody's talking about AI right now, this chat box stuff. And I don't really know anything about it. But apparently this is some sort of uh, artificial intelligence, uh, what they call it, deep learning kind of thing. It learns how to count. It can learn what lesser corner stock more models are. They program it, but then it learns as it goes. So you can give it a sticky a picture of a sticky card with a bunch of junk on it, and it can count the lesser corn spot boards and not the other stuff. And it actually worked really well. That's crazy. It, yeah, it, it kind of <laughs> is, and it, it worked well except that the traps would fill up with moths after three days because we had such a high lesser corn spot bore populations last year. So then you had to go service the trap anyway. Um, so the um, FMC had hired a person to work with them last year, and she's going to start her master's degree. Uh, this summer with me and one of the things she's going to do is one see if we can optimize the trap uh two we're going to just look at this the 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 population dynamics the phenology of the malls and when they occur and she can do that whether the trap works good or not but if we can develop a trap that doesn't have to be monitored every three days because it fills up with malls then we've got a tool we make and use for ipm that's that's the third and really the, the critical part of the project is can we correlate those moth numbers on the trap to larval numbers in the field. If we can, we can base spray decisions on it. And that makes 
scouting and, and, and making a management decision super easy for a pest that it's really hard for them because they're hard to scout for because yeah. they're either in the ground or they're inside the plant. And most growers, most people generally can't, aren't very good at scouting for them. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I mean, we got some bugs to work out. We're going to get some good data regardless, but if we could get the bugs worked out of that trap and, and figure out what that correlation is between moths and larvae in the field, then I think that's going to help a lot of people, especially, you know, we still got a lot of acres in Georgia that don't get scouted routinely and, while I would love to just see that change, even if I was a scout or a consultant, I think I'd want these traps in the field if if, if I know that I can base a spray decision on the moths because it just makes my life a lot easier. Yeah. Oh. So to give you a plug, it sounds like you have more projects than you got people to work on. Well, yeah, that's you could say that. Um, <laughs> I've got I got a brand new postdoc that's just started and uh, um, he's going to be working on the, the relationship between all these soil insects so the rootworms the burrow bug and the lesser cornstalk borer how they are tied with aflatoxin hmm. uh, and so he's going to be doing he'll be doing some insect management stuff too but a lot of what he's going to do is trying to figure out you know what the role of this insect damage is what how it plays in with aflatoxin and if it plays in uh, with aflatoxin how it relates uh, and I got the one master student who's starting, and we've got another student or a guy that wants to be a student to work on rootworms. Uh, we we are we are advertising right now. Of course, this is uh, February the tenth. So if you happen to listen to this later and you're looking for a job, this may not be may not be open anymore. So we'll say that on February the tenth, two thousand and twenty three, <laughs> I have an open position for a technician. Uh, and I'm looking for somebody that uh, is not scared to work. For one, and then we, you know, if they've got some farm experience and know how to operate equipment, that's going to be a, a plus. But they're going to have to, you know, collect data and be able to get in the truck. Equipment. And they're going to have to be able to. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, that's that would be nice, hauling equipment and whatever. But um, if if you're if that's not your thing, don't you know, if you're listening to this next week, you know, you know what, I I love I love peanuts and I love insect work and I would I would love to do some research and stuff and I. And I'm awesome at entering data, and I, I even know how to do statistics. Apply for the dang job <laughs> uh, because You'll I alter the job. Yeah, for because the I mean, I can tell you if you can come in here and run the, you know, organize the lab and get to keep up with the data and keep up with these projects and help me in the field, I can drive a tractor and I can spray. And you know, it's a team. This whole thing's a team effort, just like the peanut team. The peanut entomology program is a team, and everybody has certain things they do. And I mean, if you. If you can work with data and you can collect data and you can be reliable in that way, then you then I don't have to be doing that as much and I can do those other things, right? And then likewise, if you're really good at the equipment stuff, I don't have to do that. I can focus on the on the more on the collecting the data or making sure that stuff's right. So ultimately I'm gonna be the one that analyzes the data and writes stuff up for the most part other than what the students do. But so yeah, I mean don't if you're sitting out there listening to this, I wouldn't, you know, if you think you'd like a job, heck apply for it. I mean, the worst that can happen is you don't get it. Actually, that may not be the worst that could happen. You might get it. That might be the worst thing. I'm just joking. No, it's it's. I think it's fun. I it have fun. It is. We all have a good time with all of our projects, and it's all multidisciplinary too. You work across the table from everybody, really. So, yeah, yep. it is pretty um, pretty fun. You get to learn a lot. But, you know, one of the big things that we wanted to, again, provide these type of little interviews, if you want to call them that, with each individual person is 
that if you're a grower, you only really see the outside of this, right? If you got an insect problem, you call the agent and you call Mark Abney and he helps you out or, or tries to help you out, but you just don't see all the work in the background that's going on. And there's a bunch of it out there. And you didn't know my personal life, right? And so you didn't know your personal life. Some of y'all out there have got associate degrees from Middle Georgia College, and now you know that we're fellow alumni, and you know you got to have a steel trap mind to get an associate degree from Middle Georgia College. <laughs> So you might be more apt to call now because you realize you're going to get some answers when you call Middle hey, Georgia College <laughs> alumni. <laughs> hey, the, more, the more I'm in it, I find out there's more AGRs out there than I realize. So some of them I wasn't around, but um, we're here to help, that's for sure. But no, we appreciate, appreciate yeah, you coming man, on and talking. I don't know that they were going to set any uh, listener records with this one, uh, but it was good to be here. And- <laughs>